Well, amen. Open your Bibles with me to two places. Genesis chapter 9 or Genesis chapter 16 and Isaiah chapter 19. Genesis 16, Isaiah 19. If you're a guest here with us today, um, I have been uh, we as a church are studying through the book of Galatians Sunday morning and Sunday night. Uh, but we have taken a break this week to look at what's going on in the Middle East and look at Egypt in the Word of God and try to understand their place in uh, Bible prophecy. The first thing that I want us to do is let's look at um, Genesis chapter 16. Remember what's happened. God has promised Abraham that he's going to make of him a great nation. But he didn't want to wait for God. Now, how many of you think that was probably a bad idea? Yeah. So his wife came in with a great idea. She said, why don't you take Hagar, my handmaid, and go into her, and maybe we can have a child that way. So he does, and she brings a child, and his name is Ishmael. And I want you to see the way that God describes Ishmael. And the Bible, later on, God promises Hagar that he's going to make of Ishmael a great nation. But here we are, Genesis chapter 16, verse 11. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, speaking to Hagar, and shalt bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, and his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Now let's go to... Isaiah chapter 19. Now, how many of you believe that what God said in Genesis chapter 16 has proven true? It, it's, it's wild over there. Lawless. Um, you know what? Let's have a word of prayer and we'll start. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the answers that you give us in the Word of God. Lord, we live in troubling times. We see all of these things going on in, in the Middle East and then here where we are in our own country. And it, it just appears that the time is, is, is very soon approaching when you are going to return. And so we pray, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Now... If you look at the news, the way that the uprising in Egypt has been described is a peaceful, secular revolt. How many of you have heard it described that way? Uh, President Obama said that it was the thing that was good about it was it was peaceful. Um, it wasn't anti-American and it wasn't anti-Israeli. That's what he said the day after Mubarak resigned. That the uprising was secular, it was not anti-American, and it was not anti-Israeli. And he said it was peaceful. I imagine the families of the 300 people who were killed wouldn't have thought it was peaceful. There's so many things about this that demonstrate, and I can never decide which one it is because... Um, 
there's no way to know. Either you have people in, in leadership in America who are profoundly stupid, or there is an organized plan to bring instability to the world to call for a one-world government. And it's probably both. Um, the, the head of our uh, intelligence, the National Intelligence Director, said the Muslim Brotherhood is a peaceful, secular organization. You've got to take your brain out and play with it to make a statement like that. doesn't matter how many drugs you take. It, it, it doesn't matter what they do to you. That statement will never make sense. Th that's where we are. That's, that's where we are. Now, here's the way that I know that it's religious. Now, this is difficult. And my, I'm, I'm far more educated than the head of our national intelligence. Okay? I understand that. I went to Bible college. That's all I did, okay? But here's how I know that it's not secular. It's called the Muslim Brotherhood. I know that's complicated. I know that's difficult. And I'll try not to be sickeningly sarcastic through the whole thing, through the whole message this morning. But when you look at the news and you hear what people are saying, man, they're, they're either just lying to you or they're crazy. I promise that that um, reporter from CBS who was assaulted by 200 men because they thought she was Jewish, I'll bet she doesn't think it was a peaceful uprising. Um, we're being lied to. We're being led along for some reason. Now, here's the deal. I don't think the reporters that are doing it are inside. <laughs> you know, they're not the ones, they don't all get together and say, hey, let's make the Christians think everything's okay so we can bring a one world government. You know, Katie Couric's not smart enough to do that. All right. But I promise you, did you see what they did to Katie Couric over there? I mean, she thought she was going to be killed. Wonder what that did to her worldview. Anderson Cooper was beaten up, man. And I don't really have a problem. No, that's... he. <laughs> These people, they don't understand what's going on in that part of the world. The Bible said that Ishmael would be a wild man and the hand of every man would be against him. And that is true. Do you know that there's no such thing? There is no such thing as a democratic Muslim state. That's an oxymoron. It, it does, they do not go together. You cannot have those two things in the same place. What about Turkey? Well, Kamal Ataturk, he dissolved the sultanate in, I think it was 1921, 1922, right around there. And then he abolished the caliphate in 1924. And we're going to describe some of those things. And he established a purely secular government in Turkey. And that's why Turkey has been the most stable of all of the countries in the Middle East. So you got to understand, when, when, when you hear that what Egypt wants is democracy, and we've got, we're excited that they're going to have freedom and democracy in Egypt, now we have a problem. 
Now we've got a real problem. Um, you know, it'd be like this. If somebody brought a project that required nuclear physics, okay, and they, they bring this project to me, and they hire me and pay me a million dollars a year to do this job. Well, that's great for me, right? Really bad for the people that need the product. I don't have the first idea. I don't even know, honestly, I don't even know what nuclear physics is. I really don't. I don't have any idea what it is. So for me to do that, that would be really silly for somebody to hire me for that position. And the people said, amen. amen. People in Egypt don't have any idea what democracy is. Some of them think it's that they'll be able to watch MTV. Hollywood movies. That's what freedom means to them. They don't understand what liberty is. They don't understand what freedom is. So let's take a look. The first thing that we're going to do this morning, we'll kind of give you an outline. This is not going to be like one of our history that matters, you know, that goes on for like two hours. We're just going to do a quick overview. We're going to look at what the Bible says about Egypt, and we're going to try and get a biblical understanding of what's going on in that part of the world and tie in a little bit of history, give you a little bit of insight that you're probably not going to get on television, okay? Uh, Isaiah chapter 19. Verse 1, the burden of Egypt. Now, when you see the burden, when you see that phrase, and you find that through all of the minor prophets, the burden of, and it'll give a nation, that is the judgment of God. That's, that's the burden that God has put on that nation. All right? The burden of Egypt. Behold, the Lord rideth upon a swift cloud, and shall come into Egypt, and the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence, and the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. Now, I want you to see something here. And I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians, and they shall fight every one against his brother, and every one against his neighbor, city against city, and kingdom against kingdom. And the spirit shall fail in the midst thereof, and I will destroy the counsel thereof. And they shall seek to the idols, and to the charmers, and to them that have familiar spirits, and to the wizards. And just so you know, that is what Islam incorporates, all of those things that are listed here. All right? I don't have time to go into that and demonstrate it, but they have all of those things. Verse 4. And the Egyptians will I give over into the hand of a cruel Lord, and a fierce king shall rule over them, saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts. And the waters shall fail from the sea, and the river shall be wasted and dried up, and they shall turn the rivers far away, and the brooks of defense shall be emptied and dried up, and the reeds and flags shall wither. The paper reeds by the brooks, by the mouth of the brooks, and everything sown by the brooks, so everything planted, shall wither, be driven away, and be no more. The fishers also shall mourn, and all they that cast angle, that's the hook, into the brooks shall lament. And they that spread nets upon the waters shall languish. Moreover, they that work in fine flax, and they that weave networks shall be confounded. See, you internet people, you're talked about here in the Bible. No, not really. Um, moreover, or end, uh, verse 10, And they shall be broken in their purposes thereof, all that make slices and ponds for fish. All right, so here's what's going on. I want you to see what's happened here so far. God has given Egypt over to a terrible land. 
He's given them over to a religion that brings them confusion. They don't have any answers, and they're going to be poor and desolate. Is that what the Bible says? Now, here's what happened. At the end of the, of the 1800s, things were in great flux in that part of the world. By the time you get into World War I, England and France have toppled the Ottoman Empire. All right, and that's what happened with Ataturk when they established a secular society after that. But they divided up the lands of the Ottoman Empire. Now, I don't know that we really understand sometimes as Americans the influence that the Ottoman Empire held. It covered all of the Arabian Peninsula, all of these lands that you think of. So think about it this way. After they defeated, after England and France defeated the Ottoman Empire, they divided it up. You had the British Mandate which was Iraq and the lands of Palestine, all right? Palestine was divided into Transjordan and Palestine, and then shortly after that, the Balfour Declaration took place that allowed them to establish a land of Israel. That was that part, and then they also had the land of Iraq. Iraq they divided up, and they didn't want Iraq to have access to the sea, so they invented this, the nation of Kuwait, so they couldn't have access to the sea. So do you see how everything's getting chopped up over there? France had Lebanon and Syria, and they divided it up. They divided up Syria into Lebanon and Syria. They divided the nations. They didn't want them to have access to water again. That was the point of the nation of Lebanon. So it's all divided up, and everything is different than it was under the Ottomans. But what's going on in Egypt? In Egypt, they had the first secular constitution in that area. And now by secular, we're not talking about, don't think of it in the context of the United States. Okay. The United States was founded on a completely different understanding. We have an understanding. Our nation was founded on the understanding that there's one true God. He had a son. His name was Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead. That was the basis of the founders of our nation. So when they were thinking of Christianity, when they were thinking of a Christian nation, even though we had a secular form of government so that no church controlled the government, it was a religious environment. So by a secular government, we're not saying there's no religion allowed. What we're saying is that no church controlled the government. That's what a secular government is. All right? So now, when you look at Egypt, you had complete freedom for um, Muslims, Jews, and Christians. And Jews really prospered in Egypt. Christians, mostly Coptic Christians, which would be a form of the Eastern Orthodox Church. Remember what happened? You had the Roman Catholic Church. 1054, there was a schism between the East and the West. Constantinople in the East ended up with their own pope. They had the, now the Eastern Orthodox Church. A form of that went into Egypt, and it's called the Coptic Church, Coptic Orthodox Coptic Christians. So you had those forms of Christians, you had the Jews, and you had the Muslims all living in peace. All living in peace. 1928, there's a man who decided to start a group called the Muslim Brotherhood. He hated, he, he wanted to impose Sharia law on the nation. He didn't like the freedom that there was in Egypt. But he only had about 20 people that joined it with him. And it was a small group of people. 
Well, by the middle of the 1930s, there was a man rising up in Germany, and his name was Adolf Hitler, and he had established the Nazi Party. Well, the Nazi Party started a branch in Cairo, and Hitler, through his representatives in, in Cairo, told Egypt that if they didn't begin persecuting the Jews, that they'd stop buying cotton from them. And so immediately, they started publishing things in the newspaper against the Jews. Immediately, they started passing laws that would restrict the freedom of the Jews. By the end of World War II, remember, 20 in 1928, not very many into the 30s. By the end of World War II, there were one million members of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. There are only 40 million people in Egypt today. It's the most populous nation um, in the Middle East. 40 million. Imagine what it was in the 30s, early 40s, and now you have the Muslim Brotherhood. Well, it's through this Muslim Brotherhood that hated the Jews. It was a Nazi organization. Don't miss that. It was a Nazi-influenced organization. Now, Nazi is thrown around by every liberal in the world now. You know, if you think marriage is supposed to be between a man and a woman, you're a Nazi. Right? And if... If someone ever said that the president was acting like a fascist or a Nazi, the Tea Party people are called kooks for saying that. How many of you have heard that? Right? How many of you have seen the protests in uh, Wisconsin? Governor with, a, with an Adolf Hitler face. saying they're, they're calling for him to be killed. The teachers' union are calling for, them to, for him to be killed. Now, I'm not saying that the union leadership, but those are the signs that are being held up. Has anyone seen it? Yeah. Kill all despots. Death to all despots. And the governor there is the despot. See, what they're doing is they're trying to bring Cairo to America. They're trying to bring what's going on there to America. Different message, but man, it's amazing to see what's going on. So when I say that the Muslim Brotherhood was a Nazi organization, I'm not saying they acted like Nazis. I'm not bringing some obscure understanding. No, these are people that helped Hitler kill the Jews. They established the Mufti in Jerusalem, and the Mufti in Jerusalem stopped, helped keep uh, Jews from being able to emigrate to Jerusalem during World War II, and that allowed Hitler to kill them in the ovens in Germany and Poland. It, it was systematic. It was part of the project. So when we say they were Nazi, it, it's not some political um, aspersion or, or a name that you're calling. They really were. Now, how many of you already see we might have a problem with democracy? But they're a completely secular organization, mostly peaceful. We got a problem. Out of the Muslim Brotherhood came just a really good man, nice guy, snappy dresser, Yasser Arafat. See, Yasser Arafat was not Palestinian, the head of the PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization. He was Egyptian. So out of the Muslim Brotherhood comes the PLO, Hamas, Hezbollah, Al-Qaeda. All of it originated in the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt is the only organized political party that there is. And again, our leaders are saying that there's a really good chance for democracy. Well, what are they going to vote for? Let's get an understanding of what the beliefs are there. You know what? Before I do that, 
Let me go back, and I want you to see our text, and and sorry for my scatteredness, but notice what happens here. Verse 5, the water shall fail from the sea. Remember what happened. You had um, pretty much a liberal understanding of uh, religion in Egypt. There was a king. He was overthrown in 1952 or 1953. And there became a a military dictatorship from that point until today. All of the leaders, and I think it was Nasser and then, then Sadat and then Mubarak. I believe those are the only leaders they've had since the early 50s, since the military took over. Well, Nasser made an agreement with the United States that the United States and England would pull out of the Suez Canal for seven years and allow uh, Egypt to control it. Well, what Nasser did was he nationalized everything that came through the Suez Canal so that they would have money to operate. So the government took over the Suez Canal and took the money from it, all right, as opposed to it being a private, uh, privately run situation. So then they asked the United States to build a dam, what would become the Aswan Dam. The United States engineers went in there and said, no, we can't do it. It's in the highest, where the Aswan Dam is, it's in the southern part of the, the country, but it's one of the only countries in the world where the southern part of the country is the highest elevation, all right? And so the United States said, no, we can't. Our engineers said, no, we can't build this dam because if there's an earthquake, it will flood your nation. Everybody will die. So we won't build the dam. So Nasser established a relationship with the Soviet Union. And the Soviets, those great and wonderful people who always care about things that will happen to their people, built the dam. Right? So now we've got a situation where they build the dam. And what had happened in Egypt all the way through recorded history, all the way back to Joseph, was there would be a time of flood and then the waters would, the Nile would recede and all of the sediment that was left there, that would help the crops grow. And we see that they would till by the brooks. Is that what this says? They also had defenses. The water would help keep other people from coming and invading them. All of these things helped Egypt become a very powerful nation. They were known for their Egyptian cotton. They would plant that. The flax and the networks. The networks, that's the cloth that would be woven. So they became very powerful because of their trade, because of their fishing, and because of the agriculture that came from the Nile River. Well, now they do the Aswan Dam. As a result of the Aswan Dam, you don't have the floods anymore. Because you don't have the floods anymore, you don't have the sediment. Because you don't have the sediment, nothing can grow. There's nothing to fish anymore. The fishermen can't take fish out of it. The Aswan Dam destroyed Egypt. It destroyed Egypt. And notice who gave them the counsel to do that. Verse 13, The princes of Zoan are become fools. The princes of Noph are deceived. They have also seduced Egypt, even they that are of the stay of the tribes thereof. And this Zoan, that's the area to the north. That just means the area to the north. It was a specific area in northern Africa, but it's talking about the princes of the north. Russia came and helped destroy Egypt. Now, don't miss out what's going on here. This is where this becomes very important. I can't remember if it was the 67 war or the 73 war. But they're going to invade Jerusalem. They're going to invade Israel again. And I believe it was the second war because they had invaded in 67. Israel had defeated them and they took property from Egypt. 73, they were going to go and take that land back. The Russia, the Russian intelligence, 
calls Anwar Sadat and says, you'd better not do this because if you attack, the first thing that Israel is going to do is blow the Aswan Dam. Your country will be destroyed. Do you know what that means? That means that Egypt is now a slave to Israel. Everything that Isaiah 19 has prophesied has already taken place. That's where we are. That's where we are. Now, I want to talk about the current condition in Egypt, and then I want to talk about the future of Egypt according to the Word of God. So now let's look at this understanding of democracy. Um, this, was the hu- this was a huge problem that, we had with, that I had with George Bush, the Bush administration, the concept of nation building. Nation building does not work. Colonization works if you want to kill a bunch of people and keep them oppressed. Right? It does work. It works. It's just awful. Nation building doesn't work. Because what you do is you go and you knock out their military and you try and impose a culture on people that they do not want. Can I give you an example of that? In June of 2010, the Pew Research Association did a poll of attitudes in Egypt. So let me give you an idea. Y'all doing okay? 59% back the Islamists. 59% back the Islamists. 29% the modernizers. Now, the modernizers don't necessarily want a society like the United States. They just want more freedom than they have. Now, so here are the numbers. These are the groups that people support. 50% of the people in Egypt support Hamas. 30% Hezbollah. 20% Al-Qaeda. Okay, 50% plus 30% is what? 20, plus, 80% plus 20% is what? Where are those that are for democracy? Are you already seeing that we're, we're heading toward a problem? How many, are you seeing this? Yes. 95% welcome Islamic influence on politics. Now, one of the problems that we as Americans have, as a matter of fact, someone just said, I think it was, uh, uh, it doesn't matter. Someone from, uh, it was Benjamin Netanyahu. He's the prime minister of Israel. He said that Americans do not understand radicals. Americans do not understand zealots. When we think of 95% favor and influence of Islam on politics, we think like Christians. Now, how many of you would vote for Christian influence on politics? How many of you would vote for that? I, I, no, only two people raise their hands because you don't want to get caught, I think. But most of us, when we vote, we would vote for a Christian over an, a Nazi. Right? And that might be what we have next time. But um, that's, that's the idea. So we think that way. But the difference is the source that we want to influence our country. Now, how many of you think that it would be better for the Bible to influence our nation? How many of you would vote for the Bible? Or how many of you would vote for the Quran? Okay, 
Quran first. How many of you think that it would be good to have the Quran influence our country? How many think it would be good for the Bible to influence our country? So you see the difference? When, when we think of religion influencing our nation, that's a good thing, unless it's Islam. Um, if you're a lady here, would you raise your hand? Okay, some of you guys were confused. Um, I'm just telling you, you ladies, you need to be really glad you live in America. Christianity is what gave you the honor that you hold in our society. You know, we don't strap bombs on you and send you into a market. Well, mother-in-law... Uh, we, we don't do that, do we? You see the difference? In Iran, during the Iran-Iraq war, the army, there were, there were uh, minefields between the two nations... And Iran would send their children into the minefield to find the mines so that the, the soldiers could go and kill people. Why? Well, because they're martyrs for Allah. They're just going to go to uh, paradise. That's the influence of Islam on a government. In Christianity, we understand he that offends one of these my little ones would be better if a millstone were tied about his neck and he were cast into the sea. You've got to be a certain age to fight in the military in the United States. We don't go and grab kids out of elementary school and strap an AK-47 around their neck. Why? Because Bible teaches the respect of women and children and the care for them and the responsibility of the society to maintain that. You see the difference? So you have an attitude of people who believe 90, 95% of them believe that it would be good for Islam, that is Sharia law, to be a part of their country. Ready for this? 82% welcome execution for adulterers by stoning. We would have had to kill one of our presidents. Yeah, several presidents, probably. Isn't that interesting? Now, I don't think any of us here are for adultery, but neither are we going to kill the adulterers. I don't know, my wife would probably kill me, but look at this. This is in law. 77% favor whipping and cutting off the hands of thieves. Now, I know sometimes we say, well, I think that's right. Somebody takes something of mine. I want to cut their hand off. Come on. Imagine, Dad, your kids are starving to death. And you see a loaf of bread and you take it. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about somebody wanting your flat screen TV. All right? It's just a different world. Um, 84%. You ready for this? Don't, please don't miss this. Remember, our, our, our missionary and friend, Brother Fagali, was stuck in Egypt during this uprising. I talked to him last night about the Christians. I wanted to be able to tell you what I'm about to tell you. But here under this Pew Research poll, 84% of Egyptians favor killing Muslims who convert to Christianity. Enforced by law. 
So all of these people that are saying we want to see democracy, an American form of democracy work in Egypt, they're just stupid. They don't understand what our founders established. And I know sometimes, Pastor, you shouldn't say things like that. They're really not dumb. What word are you going to use? Help me out. Listen to what, listen to what um, John Adams said about our form of government. John Adams said in 1798, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. That's what John Adams said. So John Adams would have said, you've got to be nuts to think you're going to take our American Constitution and take it to Egypt. Well, Pastor, you think that Mubarak was better? They're wild men. I don't know what to do with them. I don't have... I do not, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that I have an answer for the problems in the Middle East. I don't. But I know that giving them the right to vote in Sharia law is not the answer. Amen? Okay, so now, um, let me just, we'll be done here in about five minutes. Let me just do this. Um, I want to define a couple of things for you. Uh, the Ottoman Empire, this becomes very important right now. The Ottoman Empire was from July 27th, 1299 until October of 1923. That's how long the Ottoman Empire last, lasted. 1299 to 1923. That's a long time. So when we look at what's going on in the Middle East, Osama bin Laden said that the reason that he attacked us on 9-11 is because of what happened 80 years ago. 80 years from 2001 goes back to the end of the Ottoman Empire, the dissolving of the Sultanate and the dissolving of the Caliphate. The Caliphate was the ruling body for all of Islam. That's gone now. So you have one little nation against another little nation, and they're always fighting. Let me tell you something. How many of you have heard that the main problem in the Middle East is Israel? You ever heard that? Liar, liar, pants on fire. What does Israel have to do with the uprising in Egypt right now? What does Israel have to do with the uprising in Yemen? What does Israel have to do with the uprising in Bahrain? What does Israel have to do with the uprising in Tunis, Tunisia? What is it, what, it's all blowing up. All, it has nothing to do with Israel. It's Sunni against Shia. It's Muslim against Muslim. It's wild man against wild man, and his hand is against every man, as it says in Genesis chapter 16. That's the problem in the Middle East. What kept it under control under the Ottoman Empire was the sword. It's the only thing they understand. Say, Pastor, you sound like a racist. Man, it doesn't have anything to do with that. That is the cultural mindset of the people. And that's why people are dying to get into the United States of America. But when they come, we don't want them to bring Sharia law. They submit to our 
constitution and the spirit in which it was given. Amen? That's why in Oklahoma they passed a law that said Sharia law cannot influence our government at all. People thought they were crazy. Already there are courts in Great Britain administering Sharia law. Right now. That's how crazy this multicultural concept is. So now when we look at Egypt and what's going on over there, you see Yemen, Yemen, Tunisia, and all across the Middle East, the reason that it's called, the reason all this is happening, is they're trying to bring a Muslim caliphate back. And do you know what their goal is? World domination. See, we are called imperialists. And if you looked at the, uh, the communists that are protesting there in Wisconsin, they're holding up anti-imperialist signs. Che Guevara t-shirts. Communists. Communists. Those are the people that lead most of the unions in our country. They're just revolutionary communists. The people who give their money and dues, they're not communists. They love this country as much as anybody. Amen? The leaders of these people are nuts. So just like you have that revolution over there, these people want to bring it over here. Why? It's all about bringing instability and revolution to the world. But eventually, these revolutionaries here and the revolutionaries there are going to bring instability that will require there to be an Antichrist who can bring the peace. That's what's going on. That's what they're looking for. That's where we are in the world. So the idea of us bringing peace to the Middle East, the only way you can do that is through power. That's why in Iraq, the largest embassy that we have anywhere in the world is in Iraq. We need to pull out of Iraq. We're never going to pull out of Iraq. We're still in Korea. We're still in Vietnam. We're still in, in Bosnia. We're still, we're still in Germany. We're never going to pull out. The only way to keep peace there is through the sword. And they're always going to be shooting at us. They're always going to be fighting us. That's the nature of the world. How is it going to end? Let's finish up. Oh, let me, one more thing. Okay. Two groups, of, two groups in Islam. Sunni and Shia. 80% of Muslims are Sunni. 20% are Shia or the Shiites. The problem is, how many of you, uh, you would think that the, that the Shiites would be the ones we have to worry about? That, that's kind of what we've been, that, that's the, the popular understanding. No, no. The ones we really need to worry about are the Wahhabi Sunnis. There was a guy, his name was Wahhabi. He lived, I think, from 1703 to like 1792, right in there. And what he did was he, you ready for this? Wahhabism is not the extreme form of Islam. Wahhabism is the pure form of Islam. Think about it this way. 1517, you had the Protestant Reformation. The purpose of the Protestant Reformation was, and although Baptists were not a part of that, we were already in existence, amen? amen. But the purpose of the Protestant Reformation was to remove from the church 
what they, they, what they called the innovations, the things that Catholicism had added to biblical Christianity. So the Reformation was taking the church and bringing it back to apostolic simplicity. That, that's what the Reformation was. It was taking the, the source for the Reformation was the word of God. The just shall live by their faith. And the cry, the, the slogan of the Reformation was sola scriptura. That's Latin for sola, for, for scripture alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. Sola fide, faith alone. So scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone. Because that's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Reformation was. Calling Christianity back to biblical understanding. A literal understanding, literal interpretation of the Scriptures, and get rid of everything else. Now, we understand the Reformation didn't go far enough, right? They maintained too many vestiges of the old system. But many people got saved. A lot of great preaching came out of the Reformation. We're thankful for that. That's what Wahhabism was to Islam. It was the Reformation in Islam. It was the calling back to purity that the Protestant Reformation was in Christianity. The Wahhabi reforms are the calling back to purity of Islam. It's the calling back to a literal interpretation of the Quran and Haditha, the commentary on the, the, the Quran. A call back to a literal understanding and application of it. But that's where the similarities between the, the Protestant Reformation and the Wahhabi Reformation end. You know why? Because the source is different. You see, the Quran and the Bible are not the same. The God of the Quran and the God of Islam are not the same. The liberty we have in Christ and the slavery that comes from Islam are not the same. So don't misunderstand what's going on in the world. The Sunni Muslims are the largest sect. But the purest form of Sunnism, that's what Osama bin Laden preaches. That's where we are in the world. And you say, well, most of Islam is not radical. Most of Islam is a peaceful religion. How many of you ever heard somebody say that? 85% of those peaceful Muslims in Egypt say, if you lead a Muslim friend to Christ, they need to be killed. Now, how many of you think that might be a little extreme? Now you understand the problem that we have in the Middle East. How do you make peace with that? All right. So now let's go back to Isaiah 19 and let's look at what happens. We'll be done. Now, look at verse 16. How many of you understand the Bible is a politically incorrect book? Verse 16. In that day shall Egypt be like unto women. That means their men are going to be like women. They're going to be afraid. They're not going to stand up. But what's the time frame for that in verse 16? Anybody notice the time phrase? Or time, a, a, a time frame, a phrase that gives us the time? That day, remember that day is the day that the Lord returns to establish His kingdom on this earth, to rule and reign in righteousness. Here's what happens in that day. Um, in that day... Shall Egypt be like unto women, and it shall be afraid and fear because of the shaking of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he shaketh over it. And the land of Egypt shall be a terror, I'm sorry, and the land of Judah shall be a terror unto Egypt. 
Everyone that maketh mention thereof shall be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which he hath determined against it. Remember, we just looked at the judgment of the nations in our Sunday school. At the end of the tribulation period, Jesus Christ is going to come back and judge the nations of the earth for how they have treated Israel. Do you see how the nation of Israel is going to cause the name of Israel, the name of Judah, is going to cause fear in Egypt? Wait a minute, how have we treated Israel? How did we take care of them? Then look at what it says, verse 18. In that day shall five cities in the land of Egypt speak the language of Canaan and swear to the Lord of hosts, one shall be called the city of destruction. In that day shall there be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. And it shall be for a sign and for a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, for they shall cry unto the Lord because of the oppressors and shall send them a, and he shall send them a savior and a great one and he shall deliver them and the lord shall be known to egypt and the egyptians shall know the lord in that day and shall do sacrifice and oblation yea they shall vow a vow to the lord and perform it and the lord shall smite egypt and shall smite and heal it and they shall return even to the lord and he shall be entreated of them and shall heal them in that day shall there be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria. And the Assyrian, so that's Syria, right? And the Assyrian shall come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria. And the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. In that day shall Israel be the third, and with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, mine inheritance. How is there going to come peace to the Middle East? Jesus Christ is going to come and bring peace. That's the future. That's what the Bible says about Egypt. You know, we've, we've looked at Ezekiel 38 and 39, the battle of Gog and Magog, the nations that come against Israel. Egypt's not mentioned as one of those. We don't know exactly what's going to happen in Egypt. But right now, they are pretty much cowed by the Aswan Dam. It's almost like God had a plan. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. We have a wonderful book. This Bible is so true. Folks, you and I need to be thankful for the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ that we're allowed to practice because of the form of government that God gave us here in America. Let's not lose it. Let's not lose it. Let's understand that our system of government is only... For a holy and a righteous people, it's worthless for any other. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we live in troubling times.